This podcast is brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. BankInfoSecurity.com is your source for the news and views shaping security and risk management within the finance space. In August, I spoke with Costa Peric of SWIFT, the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication, about the globalization of payments, the emergence of mobile, and the changing landscape of peer-to-peer payments. Just back from Cybos, Peric joins me again to talk about new economies and how the meaning of value in the payment sphere is being reinvented by the Internet and social media. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. Costa, as the head of innovation for SWIFT, you lead SWIFT's InnoTribe division, a bank innovation division that's been focusing a great deal of its attention on emerging payments in non-traditional realms, such as Facebook, PayPal, and Twitter. You recently attended the Cybos conference where these so-called new economies were a focal point of discussion. What can you tell us about trends you're seeing in these emerging payments fields? Um, thank you, Tracy. So, indeed, we, uh, we ran the InnoTribe at Cybos uh, in Toronto, and it was, I must say, a great success. Um, and we, we run essentially two streams of activity, one that was focusing on technological trends and one that was focusing more on social and new economies. Um, just to give you a brief update on the technology trends before I dig in into the new economies. So we, we talked about uh, three related, in fact, things that were social data, big data, and digital identity, all we think major technology trends that will impact uh, sooner or, or later uh, the mainstream banks. The new economies, in, in fact, is building upon these three technology trends. So, so let, me, let me just give you a feel for what, what was discussed in the new economies uh, stream. Um, in, in fact, there, as usual, typical email tribe style, we invited a number of uh, very interesting speakers, the movers and shakers in this domain, and I will uh, tell you a little bit more about each one of them a bit later. Uh, and then we had uh, the speakers, as we say, ignite a little bit the discussion, and then we had uh, structured interactive workshops. So what came out of all of this is that, in, in fact, what we thought we would would come out would this be this notion of connectedness of people increasing exponentially with the internet and social data media. Uh, and in fact, we indeed talked about this, uh, especially from the technology perspective, but what in fact emerged was that what we were really talking about is the reinvention of value and ways of expressing that value. So, let me elaborate a little bit. So, so what is clear is that, and one, in fact, key takeaway for me is that it is clear that the internet technology and especially the social data and media represent at the moment a change that people, knowledgeable people think is probably equivalent to the change brought way back by the printing press and steam machines. So major major change that is happening. These trends can be seen also as incredible engines of economic growth. But the economies that uh, the, eco- the, me- the notion of economy will be multiple and different. So we are moving from a situation where 
a pure traditional transaction economy will coexist more and more with other economies based on trust and different values of expressing wealth. And what this will bring is that um, it will, it's going to change even the basic definition of what a consumer is. In fact, the word consumer is not liked anymore uh, by many people because the, the word consumer means that somebody is in fact locked into the silos of various providers. While in fact what, we, what the internet and the social media the change is about giving control to users, making the world revolve around the users rather than in fact the service providers. In other words, do people like Google, Amazon, Netflix really know what we like? Probably not. The, the belief is that we know what we like and we would like these people to adapt to us. Could you tell us a little bit about Cybos, just for the members of our audience who might not be quite so familiar? Cybos is the major conference in the banking industry that uh, we SWIFT, uh, in fact, run, but we run it for the financial industry. It's not a SWIFT event, it's a, a financial industry event. And typically we have, depending on uh, the location, but typically we have from seven to 8,000 key senior deciders uh, present. The conference moves from continent to continent every year. So this year it was in uh, Toronto, next year it will be in Osaka before moving on to Dubai. Uh, and in our tribe at Cybos, we started that in uh, uh, Cybos Hong Kong three years ago. So in our tribe at Cybos, uh, Toronto was the third year, um, and uh, it was quite a big success. Uh, so we had uh, 1,800 people participate to, to the event. Um, and another interesting thing happened, which we noticed, uh, for cybers in general, and in a tribe in particular, is that we could see really the emergence of a virtual conference going on on social media like Twitter, inside and outside of the walls of cybers. So just for in a tribe, we had about 5,000 tweets <laughs> on Twitter about the conference uh, while the conference was going on. So that was quite interesting. Yeah, and that really touches on, you know, the whole notion of these new economies. And you've mentioned this a little bit in your intro, but I'd like to go back and, and talk about this in a little bit more depth. In August, we actually discussed these five different categories of these so-called new economies, right. the trust economy, the intention economy, the relationship economy, the social economy, and the ethical economy. What impact are those so-called economies having on the global financial infrastructure today? Uh, to answer the question, so let's put some stakes in the ground. And so let's call the current economy, as uh, we understand it, um, uh, the, the transaction economy. So just as a matter of defining some language to, to use. Um, and if you look at the... So if this is the what we recognize as the normal economy or traditional economy that we operate with, the, as I mentioned, social media and internet and these emerging technologies bring, by connecting people, emergence to these new economies. So, and we had a number of speakers who have defined a little bit these barriers. So, so let me go through some uh, some of this. So, if I take, for example, one of the speakers was Greg Rader, very well-known blogger, 
focusing on the influence on, of technology on economic behavior. So his question was, okay, how do we account for the value of social media and social data? So for example, what is the exact value of my eBay reputation? As you know, on eBay, when you transact, you actually pay for goods, etc. But we also build slowly and surely a reputation based on the, the way people rate these transactions. So that has a lot of value. But what is the exact? He defined a framework to describe and express this value depending on, on one hand, the level of trust that people have in each other. Uh, this relatedness can range from dealing with a total anonymous uh, stranger to, for example, dealing with your friend and family. And then the level of refinement of services provided, so going from a totally, you know, uh, short tweet uh, to a very specific and tailored study. So based on that, if we go and say, okay, there is a transactional economy that we know now, very oriented, very intangible value, then the second one would be relationship economy, where it's an economy not of scarcity, because the transactional economy is based on scarcity in the sense that you pay for things and the value of things is defined on their scarcity. In the relationship economy, things are assessed and valued based on abundance. So, for example, in, uh, in the relationship economy, so the, the value is de-emphasized. There is also other type of economies that you can, uh, you can uh, define, such as the attention economy. It's um, where there is this notion of intangible value based on influence and reputation and so on. And many ways to define what is happening. Uh, and today, obviously, the transactional economy prevails, but boundaries are blurring um, as we speak. The relationship economy, the value there is trust. Uh, this is where uh, people trust each other. There is no uh, command and co control. And, uh, you know, the, the, the trust is built and the trust is valued. In the relationship economy, wealth is what you have when you lose all your money. <laughs> and I think it's a, I, I'd like to point out another so, uh, type of uh, economy that was uh, described, which I find perhaps uh, very interesting and very concrete. Uh, we had there also Doc Searles, who is the editor of the Linux Journal and also one of the four co-authors of a very famous book called Clue Train Manifesto. And he talks about intention economy. Uh, so, so he says, okay, today people have captive consumers or how to, uh, you know, penetrate markets. And so he says, all of this comes from the fact that Suppliers, companies that supply services, want to lock in their consumers to them to their services, and so we live in a world of silos, where you, as a consumer, well, you are locked in into many of these silos. The intention economy, as uh, Doc defines, is to, to totally reverse this uh, this picture and to say, okay, I, as a user, I, as a person. I am in total control of uh, my, my uh, data and my intention. So if I intend to buy something and if that intent is certified, 
let's say by a bank, well then I can almost it can almost can be like a personal RFP that that I issue. I say I want to buy a car with this and this and that characteristic. And rather than me having to go to all various suppliers of cars and getting from them each one of quotes, it, it, it would be enough in this economy for me to state what I want, that this intent, this intention be certified, and then it's like a personal RSP. I have people bidding for my business. So it's a total reverse of, um, of, um, of the situation. And Doc argues, and I tend to agree with, with him, that there is a number of products and services that banks could provide to support this intention economy. This is the end of the first part of a two-part interview with Costa Peric of SWIFT. Please check back for part two, when Peric discusses the role financial institutions will play in these emerging payment schemes and some of the security risks banks and credit unions will face as they work with more non-traditional payments players. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kim. This podcast has been brought to you by BankInfoSecurity.com. For more interviews, breaking news, research, and educational webinars, please visit www.BankInfoSecurity.com.